Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. And the title of my message today is Option Overload. Option Overload. Uh, We exist in a time where there are a bazillion options for every single thing you could ever want or want to do. Um, And this is leaked into everything, um, including one of my favorite things. Uh, One of my favorite things in the world is ice cream. Anybody else, uh, you're just an ice cream fiend. It's a little chilly today, but I will still eat ice cream if you gave it to me. Uh, I love it. And when I was a kid, I fell in love with ice cream, and ice cream was much simpler then. I don't know if it was simpler for everyone. I think it was. There was less options then, but especially for our family, we were kind of poor, and uh, really all we got for ice cream was that giant, like, five-gallon tub of vanilla. Does anybody remember this, what I'm talking about? Your parents would get the five-gallon from, like, a Costco or a Sam's. Uh, and you would just like, you'd get a scoop of that. And if you were lucky, a little bit of Hershey's syrup, uh, that stuff was gold when I was a kid. It was amazing. And I don't know if you guys had this thing, but we would, uh, us as kids, we, we could make that vanilla into chocolate if you just got in there with the spoon and you just got going around. Um, my parents would get so mad because they would give us ice cream right before bed and we would spend like 45 minutes churning it into chocolate, you know? And it was so hard, you know, the ice cream, because my parents always kept the freezer, like, way too cold. And so we had to chisel through, you know, the ice layer and get to the ice cream and then make it happen. Today, it's different, though, right? Today, you go to any ice cream place, even, like, the grocery aisle, but especially if you pop into little ice cream spots, there's all different sorts of stuff. If you look at this picture behind me, most of you cannot identify these flavors, And a lot of times when I go to an ice cream spot, they're like, would you like to try anything? And I'm expecting chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, and there's all different sorts of stuff. They're like, we don't have any of that. Like, you don't have vanilla? You don't have chocolate? You don't have chocolate chip? They're like, no, we don't have that. We have specialty flavors. We've got uh, dandelion walrus chip. Uh, We have lavender caramel bath salts. I'm like, what? I think that's actually illegal. That's not, we shouldn't even put that in ice cream. There's all these weird things, and you're trying to taste it, and like, it's, uh, like I don't ever know what to get. Like, uh, how many of you, when you go to these ice cream spots, you just stand in line, and they have those mini spoons, and you're like, would you like to taste anything? Like, yes, I would like to taste all of your made-up flavors that don't exist anywhere else in the world, because I don't know what to get. And sometimes it is paralyzing, right? You just pace back and forth in front of the case. Nothing looks familiar. You don't know what to do. You're going to commit a whole cone to it, so you don't want to make the wrong decision, and it just starts to feel overwhelming. And uh, a few times when I go with our kids or sometimes my friends, I had this one buddy we'd go, he would taste 15 different things and then he'd be like, okay, I'll have vanilla please. (laughs) After all the things. And after a while I was like, do you just love vanilla? And he's like, not really. Uh, I just, uh, I'm scared of the other stuff. I really don't know what to do. And so I just go with vanilla and I'm like, do you at least like it? And he's like, I mean, it's cold. Like, that the bar is low for you. He's like, it's kind of bland, but, you know, I just, I just kind of keep doing it. And 
Here's a point I want to make about this because I think that this sort of microcosm about ice cream is true about something that takes place in our lives. And that is that endless potential is paralyzing, right? When there's all these things that you could do, when you have this capacity to pursue everything, it creates this paranoia over choosing the wrong thing. And sometimes it prevents us from fully committing to anything, and we have this, not just with ice cream, but with like, you know, what are we gonna do in life? And where are we gonna go to dinner? And what job should I take? And what things should I focus on? And of these five good things, which of these good things should I select and focus on during this season of my life? And, you know, many of us, when confronted with the anxiety of option overload, we either don't choose anything, or we choose a little bit of everything, or we just choose the most popular thing, even if it's something that we don't like, like vanilla. And for some of us, this ends up leading to our lives tasting bland because we haven't really made a decision. We're just sort of going along with whatever everybody else is doing so we don't have to decide. And for a lot of us, we live our lives trying not to make choices or just going with the crowd, and, and it ends up leading us to feel lost and aimless and purposeless. I heard um, someone say to a mentor of mine when I was in my 20s, something that has always stuck with me, and they were talking to him, and I was sort of standing nearby, and they were like, you know what, like, life is meaningless. And this is why I can't um, believe in God, and also why I feel like, um, you know, everything is sort of purposeless. And the thing he said back to him uh, just still resonates deeply with me. He said, maybe life isn't meaningless. Maybe just your life is meaningless because you're too afraid to decide what it's about. So you're just living in this limbo period of going along with what everybody else is doing, which you don't even like, or trying not to decide, and you're sampling a little bit of everything, and you don't like it, and you're afraid to make the wrong decision, so you do nothing, and you are miserable because you don't wanna to have to make a choice. And I think for some of us, because we have so many options of who we could be, we never decide who we wanna be. And you know, we, we have so many options of what we could do that we never decide what we wanna do. And the catch with all of this is doing nothing is empty, right? But doing everything is exhausting. And so these two extremes don't really work for us, but we continue to go about life this way. And when we attempt to do a little bit of everything, we end up sort of not being effective at much of anything. And here's the truth that I hope you grab hold of, not just today, but during this whole series, is that getting the most out of life is not about doing everything, but going big on the right things, Deciding what is significant and leaning into that, which means that there are right things and wrong things to be about for you. And the question becomes, how do you figure out what that is? Because we don't wanna haphazardly choose the wrong thing in life. And some wrong things are, are more obvious, right? Like if you have this sense of like, I'm gonna abandon my wife and kids and you know I'm gonna smuggle Guns to Nicaraguan warlords in exchange for drugs, which I will sell on the street. Not a great option. Okay, I'll just tell you right out the gate. If that's one of the things you're like, I feel like this is my calling in life. I don't think you're hearing from God, okay? I don't think that's what the Lord wants you to do. Not a great option. 
But how do we know what's important? Like, and of all the important things, how do we figure out what's important, most important right now? And, and how do we know if what we're leaning toward is wise and noble or sort of short-sighted and selfish? And, you know, can priorities shift from season to season? Like, can you be all about one thing in this season, but then God sort of redirect you for another season? And, and how do you know what to stick with? And how do you know what to walk away from? And as I hear myself saying these questions out loud, I feel like I should have, you know, brainstormed some, some answers to those. Um, <laughs> but let's just close in prayer. Uh, Lord, I, <laughs> just stirring things up and sending you home. You're like, that wasn't helpful at all. But here's the reality. Um, knowing what and what not to do is about clarifying what's most important to you and identifying what's gonna bring meaning to your life is I think um, really most likely about over the overlapping answer to three very particular questions, um, which I will give to you so you don't have to guess what they are. Um, and the first one is this, like what is it that I am passionate about? Like what is it that stirs you up and gets you excited? What is it that inspires you? Maybe it's something that frustrates you because it needs to be different in the world or your community. Um, maybe it is something that like you just, man, I, when I see this, I come alive. Um, but there are a lot of things that we could be interested in or passionate about that we are maybe not that good at. Okay, you've seen the voice. <laughs> there are people who don't make it past that first round, right? They're like, I'm called to be a star. And people are like, you're not, you know what I mean? You're not, and that's not it for you, you know? How do you feel about sacking groceries? Uh, I feel like you could be fast, you know? Um, we can get excited and passionate about things that we're not particularly gifted or talented at. And so what is it that you are gifted and talented at? And sometimes I think we think about these things in a very narrow sense, um, where thinking about them in the broad sense is more helpful. Like maybe you have incredible people skills or you have this sense of leadership. Uh, maybe you're great with organization. Like what is it that you bring to the table that is great, and that can actually fit into a lot of different things, but it sort of hones what you're meant to do. And the third thing is like, what will have a positive impact on my community? If you wanna actually have meaning in life, you have to do something that's making a positive impact on the world around you. Um, if your only sort of aim in life is just to make money and eat ice cream and die, that's not a very meaningful life. You will have moments of enjoyment but not necessarily fulfillment. And here's the tough thing. As you're looking at these questions, the overlapping answer to this sort of aims you in the direction of what you may need to focus on during this season. And it may have a lot to do with your profession, and it may not. I know a lot of people that like their job is their calling, and a lot of people, the job is the thing they do to pay the bills so they can focus on what their calling is which is something they do in their volunteer time or in their extra time, um, in their evenings, on their weekends. Like, I don't know what that looks like for you. But what I will tell you is that, and this is kind of a bummer, knowing the right questions uh, doesn't necessarily make them easy to answer. There's a little bit of wrestling with how to get the correct path for ourselves. This thing that God wants us to do is pulling us toward, we have to actually sit and be introspective in order to discover it. And this is what I think is beautiful about the Nehemiah story. Throughout this series, we've decided to um, like sort of preach through these ideas of, of subtraction by following the narrative of this Old Testament story in the book of Nehemiah, and we've been reading through it together. In fact, if you haven't grabbed one of these um, 25 days of Nehemiah 
uh, reading plans. Make sure you grab one of these and you follow along and read through it. It's a great daily discipline. But um, to kind of catch you up with this story, and what I think is incredible about it is not only does Nehemiah show us what he went big on, but he shows us how he came to that decision. And I think that gives us insight of how to come to this decision in our lives with the season in front of us. Um, Nehemiah, to sort of catch you up, is going through this, this phase of his life where he's kind of just going through the motions. And he becomes aware of something that captures his attention. He's told that, uh, you know, his people's sacred city, that their walls have been torn down and that their gates had been burnt out. And this is devastating because the temple is the center of Jewish life. And he discovers that it's not being protected, it's not being prioritized which is a huge deal to him and his people. And Nehemiah has this sense right from the get-go that he's become aware of this because he's supposed to do something about it. And what's interesting about this moment is that it checks all of the boxes that we mentioned just a few moments ago, right? This opportunity arises that he is passionate about, his giftedness um, in leadership and talent with people skills, uh, was how he rose to power in the position that he's currently in as the right hand of the king. And he knows that if he commits to this, that it'll have a positive impact on his community. But he also knows this, that adding this would mean subtracting a whole lot of other things from his life. And that's the tough part. So how does he know it's the right thing? He, he starts by getting permission from the king, which we talked about last week, to go and just explore this opportunity. What would it actually take for me to lean into this and focus on this and prioritize this in the next season of life? What is this vision going to cost me? What's it gonna take for me to do this thing? And I wonder, like, when was the last time you just sort of sat and thought about your life? Like your life as a whole, where it's going, what it's about. Because in order to have focus, which is something we all want, you have to set aside time to focus. And some of us feel like we are unfocused because we've never actually stopped what we're currently doing to sit down and think about what it is we ought to be doing. We haven't had those, those moments of, of thinking, of praying, of being with God, and actually having these conversations with the people around us. And I know that you're busy, right? Isn't that the reason why we don't do it? I don't have time for that. I am too busy. But I gotta tell you, if you are too busy to think about the meaning of your own life, that's too busy. And yet this is the sort of the cycle that we get caught up in. We just do without thinking about whether or not we want to or we should be doing any of what we're doing. And the reality of it is, I think the busier we think we are, the more focused reflection we need to clarify what to cut. In fact, this is the first thing to go, right? When we're, too, when we're busy, it's like, I'm too busy to slow down, spend time with God, think about my life, and decide what I'm not gonna do so I can really zero in on what I ought to be doing. We're like, I'm too busy to think about anything. Just keep going and get everything done. Even though I hate my life, right? We just keep pushing through, and it's not a great strategy. And I gotta tell you, this may sound logical, but I don't think, again, we slow down long enough to think about this. If you are unhappy with the way that you are living your life, whose responsibility is it to address that? You. Some of you were 
guessing at the multiple choice of that. You got to correct. It is yours. <laughs> right? And the, the reason why you hesitated is because you're like, hopefully you'll say it's someone else. <laughs> because we don't want to have to actually make decisions oftentimes. And so Nehemiah is wrestling with all these questions about what to do and how to move forward, which leads him to take some time to prayerfully explore his options. And we get a glimpse in chapter two of his book of how he went about it. And this is what it says. Nehemiah chapter two, verse 11. He says, I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. And after dark, I went through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate, you guys know where that is, um, to inspect the broken walls and the burned gates. And then I went to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. This donkey is a bigger star than I thought he was gonna be in this story. So I went up to the Kidron Valley instead. The officials did not know I had been out or what I was doing. I had not spoken to the Jewish uh, leaders, uh, the priests, nobles, officials, or anyone else. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed. Let's rebuild and end this disgrace. I told them about the gracious hand of God had been on me and my conversation with the king and they all replied at once, Yes, let's rebuild the wall. And so they began the good work. Nehemiah knows that to live a fulfilling life, he has to take a break from what he's doing to reflect on what he is made to do and how to make room for it. And that's what this sort of timeout from his current job is about, is about taking a break and trying to figure out what he ought to be doing with this next season of his life. And some of you are thinking like, that's good for him. You know, uh, I don't, how do I do that? And um, I wanna give you some really practical steps to that end. And I'm gonna give you all the steps up front and then we're just gonna unpack them together with the rest of our time. Um, the steps to really figure out and dial in what it is you ought to be doing for this next season is this. Escape, explore, play, sleep, and select. Or the acronym if that's easier for you to remember, I don't know. You have options though, maybe not. So let's talk about these in, in order. The first thing that happens is you've got to escape and Nehemiah does this. And what I mean by that is you've got to set aside distraction-free time in a distraction-free space to reflect, which means it requires a little bit of planning. You've got to reflect on what is actually most important. And if your life is, is moving in that direction, or if you have this thought that, that certain things are or ought to be most important, but you're not really giving them the, the, the significance that they deserve. And this isn't just a one-time thing, but it, it probably is gonna require you implementing a routine that brings constant clarity. This is why I think like church and therapy are very helpful. Uh, some of us need, need both and a lot of them, right? But having this mechanism where, I, I, this is the thing I've always loved about church since I was a kid, like no matter what's going on in life, there's sort of this, this reprieve on Sunday to gather together and to sort of stop and think about what is actually important in life. Because the rest of the week can pull you off the path and we need an escape from the hustle and bustle 
to figure out like what is most important to me and am I focused on it? And what Nehemiah did was he took time away with trusted advisors to explore the possibilities. And you know what you might need to do is set aside, um, you know, maybe it's a yearly solitude retreat. Um, maybe it's a quarterly reflection exercise. It probably most definitely is like a weekend service that you go to. I like this one. Uh, it's great if you guys want to do that. Um, midweek groups, daily devotions. These are things that we keep, uh, allow us to sort of escape into a state of reflection. And even Jesus does this. It says in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, that Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. What, what is he doing? He's escaping from his life to reflect on what is most important and to ensure that he's still walking the right path, that he hasn't gotten swayed from his mission or calling or purpose in life. And I just gotta tell you, if Jesus needs time to do this, you do too. You're not as good as Jesus. I don't know if anyone's told you that lately, but he's, he's better. The second thing is to explore. And what I mean by that is to intentionally investigate opportunities and gather tools to become more self-aware. And again, you've gotta be intentional about this, but it won't happen all at once. This may take, if you're, you like, sort of like Nehemiah, where you have a hunch of like, man, I feel like maybe I need to move in this direction. I, I need to like volunteer in this space. I need to contribute to this. I may need to make a career change in this way. Uh, it may t require you to take a trip or do some research or interview people that are currently doing what it is you might want to do or doing it on a trial basis as a volunteer to, to see if it's something that you want to do long term. Because here's the reality. We can fall in love with the idea of something and our idea of it has nothing to do with what it actually is because our assumptions are incorrect. And what we think something is and what it actually is can, can be quite different. And so I think it helps to ask yourself, what is it about this opportunity that I'm actually attracted to? Sometimes we, we, we get like sort of hyper-focused on something that we feel like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta do this, I gotta pursue this, I gotta make this a priority, but we don't know why we're drawn to it. And then if that specific thing doesn't work out, we fall apart. Uh, man, so many times I, I talk to people and they're just like, man, I wanna be a NFL football player. I'm like, man, that is great. That is, that is probably not gonna happen for you. Um, I love you, but I don't know. Like, but what is it about it that, that attracts you, right, to that thing? Is it that, like, you like physically playing football? Is it just that you like the game of football, right? Is it just that you like the idea of the camaraderie of a bunch of other people, like if you can identify what thing is resonating with you, you can find other ways to step into that that may be different than originally what you, where you thought you were gonna get it. And Nehemiah does this by visiting the wall and walking through the rubble and you know, talking to townspeople and looking at the scope of this problem that he feels like he's supposed to solve and um, uh, you know, trying to assess how much work it's gonna take and collecting information about what needs to be done before he actually commits to doing anything. And you know, it may be helpful for you to, to sort of journal your experiences and observations or volunteer on a trial basis or take a class or read on the subject or ask to shadow someone or debrief with a mentor. These sort of exploratory moments can give us a glimpse in what would it look like to actually take action in this direction. In 1 Thessalonians 
chapter five, verse 21, the apostle Paul is writing to someone he's mentoring and he's telling him to explore as well. He says, don't be gullible. Check out everything and keep only what's good. The modern version is like, not every advertisement you see on TikTok to make a million dollars this year is viable, okay? So maybe look into things, check it out. Don't be gullible, but hold on to what's good. Explore things. The third thing is this, to play. And by that, I mean to take time to do something simply for the joy of doing it, which some of us, we get so wrapped up in all the things that we have to do that we just stop making time for anything that we actually wanna do. And our life sort of sours. And so many of the things that I think we end up doing, as, especially as we grow older, is we just, everything we do is a means to an end. Well, I'm gonna do this because it's gonna be my stepping stone and then I'm gonna get into this college and I'm gonna do this thing and now that I'm here, I gotta do this because that's gonna look good over here and then I'm gonna do that and that's gonna get me to where I wanna go and we're not enjoying our existence. And the interesting thing about this is that what is, feels like play to you is gonna be different than somebody else. And this is something I learned about uh, just in my first year of marriage. I was like, wouldn't this be fun? And my wife's like, doesn't sound fun at all. She's like, you know what would be fun? Let's run a marathon. And I was like, you know what? That sounds like what hell's gonna be. I don't wanna do <laughs> that. Why would you? And she's like, no, it'll be great. And I was like, I, I could watch a movie while you're running. And then afterwards, like, we just, you know, we could carb load together. I feel like that is more where our stories intersect, you know? And so, like, play looks different for different people. But I will tell you this. All work and no play actually statistically makes us worse at work. I can tell people that show up on the job even here that aren't enjoying their life away from here because they're not as good when they're on the ground. And you're the same exact way because play and enjoying our life enables us to make unexpected connections and it lowers our stress and it increases our executive function. And this is why there's so many stories of people breaking through and figuring things out or having an epiphany um, when they take a break. And the idea suddenly comes to them, not while they're focused, but while they're relaxing or hanging out with friends or in the shower. How many times have you been obsessing over something and you're like, you know what, it's unsolvable. I'm just gonna take a shower. And then the shower, you're like, oh no! I don't have a phone in here, you know? And you're like, remember, 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 remember. And Nehemiah does this too. Like, Nehemiah, he has an, a job currently, but he takes time away from his job to pursue a passion project with people that he likes. And you can do the same exact thing in your life. I think sometimes we think that like our calling or this thing that we're gonna do that's gonna bring us so much fulfillment has to be the thing that we get paid for. And Nehemiah doesn't seem to think that. He's like, man, this is how I make money. This is how I support my family. This is how, this is the thing I actually do for a living. And then there's this other thing that God is asking me to pursue that's actually gonna bring me fulfillment because it's part of my, my calling. Uh, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 8, verse 15, um, Solomon, who's credited with having been the wisest person who ever lived, is reflecting on the meaning of life, and he says this, I, I, I recommend having fun. And some of you are like, I like the Bible. I didn't even know that was in there. I recommend having fun, because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. 
That way they'll experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them to do under the sun. You gotta pace yourself. You have to have a mixture of, if you are just grinding all of the time, which our culture tells us we ought to be doing, you are gonna grind yourself down to a powder and hate your existence. That is not what you're made for. Then maybe the most spiritual one, number four, sleep. <laughs> Get seven to 10 hours of sleep each night. And here's the thing, I think some of the best spiritual advice seems too practical to be spiritual. And so we ignore it, and because we ignore it, we are unable to really live the lives that we want to. Um, there's this Harvard study called Sleep Deficit, the Performance Killer. Kind of tips you off where it's going. And it discovered that pulling an all-nighter or sleeping just four to five hours a night for a week straight actually induces an impairment equivalent to a blood alcohol content level of 0.1, which is enough to get you arrested uh, with a DUI here in California, just so you know. And some of us think like, it's not that big a deal. I can survive with very little sleep. But the goal of your life is not to survive, but to thrive. And you need sleep to do that. Sleep increases your brain power and your problem-solving ability. And I would tell you, like, a lack of sleep makes it nearly impossible to prioritize and live wise. Some of you are just like, I just feel, why am I making bad decisions? Why can't I stand up for that? Why don't I have the ability to do this thing? And re in reality, you are sleep drunk is what's happening. Like, you do not have enough rest to actually rejuvenate your mind and allow you to do what you have been called to do. And Nehemiah did this by realizing, like as he's exploring, like I don't know that I actually have the ability to do the day job I'm doing during this season and commit to this other thing. And so I feel like so passionate about this that I'm gonna need to take a break from what I do during the day so that I can be well rested to focus on what God has for me for the season. Then I'm gonna return back to what I was doing before when it's done. And some things that you could do are, you know, set a bedtime for yourself. I know you're like, but I'm 50. You still need a bedtime. <laughs> and you can impose this on yourself. You don't have to call your mom, you know, and have her do it for you. Turn all screens off 30 minutes before you want to go to bed. It helps you sort of, um, you know, get groggy in the, the nicest possible way. Wear sleep clothes. Block the light out of your room. Blackout curtains are so good. Um, Whatever it takes for you. And in Psalm 127, verse two, this ancient poet says this, it's useless to rise early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know God enjoys giving rest to those he loves? And I wonder if you've ever considered this before, that like the connection that God wants for you, yes, he has called you to do something, to actually act on what he has invited you to do with your life, and he wants to gift you rest. God doesn't just want to like ring you out and get all the work he can from you. God wants you to enjoy your existence, to get rest, to sleep, to wake up and be refreshed as you jump into your life. And the fifth thing is this, to select. Eventually, after you are exploring and, and, and escaping and playing and sleeping, and you should get to this place, where you stop collecting data and decide, for this set amount of time, this is gonna be my main focus. And this is the place where some of us get hung up. 
were just like, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I've been collecting information for about 20 years, and I am honing in on, and it's like at a certain point, you got to make a decision. And this goes for every area of your life. You ought to look into it. You ought to do your due diligence. You ought to seek wise counsel. You ought to seek God. You ought to like look at all the pros and cons. But at the end of the day, you are going to have to make a choice. Uh, sometimes I, I talk to younger people that are just like, how did you know that you, you know, your wife was the person you're supposed to be with? And I was like, you know, uh, she had a great family. I liked hanging out with her. I just enjoyed our time together. I thought she was beautiful. And I, like, we, we served together. We did things. I felt like our lives were going in a certain direction. And, like, and then you knew, and I was like, no. Then I was like, I was like 70% sure. <laughs> and then I just proposed, and we're going to figure out that other 30%. And that's what we're doing. We've got about 20 of it figured out. We figured out a percent about each year we've been together. And now, I mean, we're just gonna keep going. And a lot of times, you know, we, eventually we're gonna have to take a leap and just pick something without knowing exactly how it is gonna turn out. And your filter, uh, this forms a filter in your life um, for saying yes and no. I know what to say yes uh, I know what to say no to because I already know what I've said yes to. I know I'm gonna be saying no to all other women because I've already chosen one, okay? That's just a good note for some of you to write down in general, okay? <laughs> right, I, I'm, I'm done looking at other job options. I've already picked the job. I'm, I'm giving myself to this thing, right? Um, we, we, when we know what is most important to us, what our top priority is, um, we can funnel out or start to subtract things from that. And this is gonna require you to communicate your top priority to the people around you. Why this is a big deal to you during this season and how they're gonna know you're making progress towards that goal that you've set for yourself. And them knowing exactly what is important to you during this season and why will actually benefit you because they'll provide accountability for you and help keep you on track. Because I'll tell you, you're eventually gonna to have to say no to some really good, fun, interesting, and lucrative things in order to keep saying yes to the thing that you've already decided is your top priority. And this is the thing that we don't wanna do. I feel like, like Californians are the worst at this. We don't wanna commit to anything because we wanna keep every option open at every imaginable moment in time. And yet we don't end up enjoying our existence because in order to actually grow towards fulfillment, you have to make a commitment. And Nehemiah did this by, you know, d decidedly re repairing the wall. Like, is this is going to be his, his top priority? And he made that very clear to everyone around them. His boss, his family, his friends. This is what I'm focused on during this season. And you can do this too. You can make a choice and you can make it know and you can give your why and you can be confident about what you have selected for this amount of time. I love setting a time limit to it as well of like, listen, we are gonna set, I'm gonna try this experiment with my life. For the next six months, I'm gonna lean into doing this and I'm trying to get here and we're gonna find out if this is the way to do that. I'm gonna give it my all. I'm gonna not evaluate it until I get to the end of this experiment because I've made a selection. And again, Jesus does this in his life too. In Luke chapter four, verse 42, it says this, early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him. And when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. But he replied, 
I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too because that's why I was sent. In other words, because Jesus had a clear sense of what he was supposed to say yes to, it was easier for him to identify what to say no to, including the good things. Jesus tells these people, I am not gonna stay with you. Would it have been good for Jesus to stay with them? Absolutely. One of the good things Jesus says no to is healing people, good people in one place, to go tell bad people that he loves them in another place. Why? Because that is what he was called to. That was his mission during the season that he was here on earth and he had to be true to it. He wasn't gonna let anyone guilt him off the path that God had given to him. And Nehemiah was the same exact way in his story and you can have that kind of clarity too. I think the question is honestly, are you willing to do what you need to do to become who you wanna be? When you have taken these steps and you have got sober clarity on what God is pushing you to do during this next season, are you going to do it? Or are you going to just sort of keep being bland? People are like, you love vanilla? I hate it. I'm gonna keep eating it though. Because I'm too nervous to actually step out and experiment with what God is challenging me to move towards. And I know it can feel overwhelming to make this selection, to make this decision, to, to move in the direction that God is pushing, pushing you in in this season. But I gotta tell you this, you are not doing it all by yourself. In fact, one of the writers in the New Testament in his letter to the Philippian church says this. This is, I think, one of the most encouraging things I've ever heard. It says this, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And I hope you tuck this into your heart that like as God leads you in a certain direction to say like in this season, you need to focus on your marriage. In this season, you need to get sober. In this season, you need to develop a daily devotional habit. In this season, you need to focus on actually saving money for your future. In this season, you need to focus on actually dealing with your past hurts. I don't know what season God is leading you into, but the beauty of it is God doesn't push you in a direction and then be like, good luck. And in fact, you are not even leaning on your own desire and power to do what you've been called to do. In fact, God is with you giving you on a step-by-step -step continual basis both the desire and the power to do what he's called you to do. And I need both because there are days when I don't have the desire to do what I know I need to do. And God wants to give that to you as you lean into relationship with him. And there are days where I'm like, I want to, I just feel like I can't. And God's like, I have the power you need to get up and go and move towards the thing I'm calling you to, even when you feel like it's something you can't do. And this is what I wanna pray into your life today, that as you begin to take these steps, as you, in your life, <laughs> escape, explore, play, sleep, select, we all know what it stands for, because the acronym makes it so easy to remember. As you do this, God is with you and for you. 
every step of the way. I hope you sense that in your life because it's true. Would you bow your heads across this room and just let me pray this into your story today. God, thank you so much for your grace, your love, your mercy in each of our lives. God, I pray that today as we begin to listen to these little promptings, these little nudgings in our soul, that we would have this sense of what you are inviting us into in this season, what you want us to focus on, what gets the priority, what it is you want us to make most important so that everything else can be demoted. God, when you tell us what it is we need to focus on, I pray that you would give us extreme clarity on what we can remove in order to give it our all. God, I thank you for the way in which you give us both the desire and the power to do what we should as we lean into you. God, we need you every step of the way. And as we do our part, God, we are grateful that you always do your part to lead us forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.